0: W, P, V, M, -M FM, 103.7, The Voice of Asheville.
1: All Hit Radio!
2: The night fly? Lester the night fly. I'm Lester the night fly. Lester the night fly.
1: I'm Lester the night fly.
0: everyone, this is PJ Ewing. Cork Burroughs is with me. You don't call me PJ DJ, do you, Cork? I haven't yet, but I think
3: I'm going to get on it.
0: I think you should get on it, man. (laughs) I'm here with Cork Burroughs, a dear, dear friend of mine who... And vice versa. uh, One of my favorite people, and I mean this. Cork has brought to us a beautiful playlist of I don't know how many songs. But you know, Cork, what I did when I was looking through the music, because it really reaches back... I started write, writing down words like time machine, because I think mm. Kork, the music that you've brought to us is going to take some people that are older back to memories and places, smells and sounds and experiences that they had. And this music might have accompanied those things that happened in their lives. I just have a feeling because we're going way back.
3: You know, there's so much you could say for each record in and of itself would be a whole program if you talked about jimmy and how he came to a little southern town university town but tuscaloosa alabama in the midst of segregation and Hendrix, over that we're talking city. about jimmy yes. Hendrix, right? Talking about Jimmy. yeah so jimmy jimmy was my first real live hero outside i was 15 years old outside of the sports that's about all we had there you know it was just sports and george wallace so that was really an interesting dichotomy to See someone like Jimmy come and see the people that were not just us long hairs that were around the campus, but see other people that were so-called legitimate, uh, upstanding members of society absolutely get blown out of their shoes. Before we get into the music
0: Cork, give us a little synopsis, a little summary of you. Well,
3: I grew up in the Deep South. I was born in the North. My mother was from the North. My father was a civil rights attorney. My mother was a Yankee from the North. That was also a, a beautiful Italian, good-looking Roman Catholic. So everything was turned against my parents. You know, once they came back there, they came back from a college in South Dakota called Yankton. You know, it was just a little liberal arts college. And so my dad came back there. They actually had lived in Michigan, and he worked at a mink ranch. So I was go from the mink ranch to the uh, back to his home state which would be where everything uh my whole life came together and and i experienced so many different things as i said before from meeting george wallace it, my father and he were related so that allowed uh him to have a little contact even though he never succeeded in the politics because he was a civil rights attorney that's what he did he He gave his life for that. And then my mother was extremely talented and did record some demo records from uh, some of the big bands back in that day. She was uh, probably the most beautiful voice I've ever heard. So that's all we, you know, had in the home. We didn't have any other kind of entertainment, no television. We listened to uh, music, you know, from... Perry Como and uh, Harry Belafonte and all that. And my father was a really exceptional singer also. So that's what we did at night. You know, we'd listen to that. Down
1: the way where the nights are gay And the sun shines daily on the mountaintop I took a trip on a sailing ship And when I
2: reached Jamaica I made a stop But I'm sad to say I'm on my way Won't be back for many a day
3: Myself and my two sisters and brother, and they had all the talent in the world. I couldn't carry, you know, the proverbial uh, note, you know, I, I just didn't have it, you know. But I loved it so much, it predicated my day, predicted exactly what was gonna happen. For instance, mother was a classical pianist, so uh, I knew if Wagner was being played that evening, that when dad got home, there was gonna be some trouble in the air, you know, some of Wagner's words were uh, odes that he, that he had written and all that and, you know, but it was just a beautiful time. Was, every Christmas it was singing Christmas Carol. So I grew up knowing music from the very beginning with no absolute, no talent, uh, like natural, you know, like uh, that my siblings did and my parents. But that's how I grew up. And so everything was shaped by that, more so than maybe uh, you see nowadays, other than, uh, I mean, you see, I guess you see it some, but I'm talking about the old classics, never knowing uh, the, the hip, uh, music of the day and and so that was that was something you know i always thought well my parents are open to that and they'll always love music but i can't tell you how upset my dad was when i brought i uh, tried to get him to get turned on to jimmy hendrix and the first little 45 i bought at the record store where you couldn't buy it you had to go to a, a uh, where the uh, so-called coloreds went to get this and I I'd, I'd heard about James Brown and I wanted to hear it hear him and that was the first little 45 first record that I bought I think it was probably less than a dollar and I bought that it was an old cut called Popcorn you <laughs> I wanted to know what that was, and then the big the band started touring, and that's when Hendrix came to Tuscaloosa, University of Alabama, to the Coliseum that's still there, and it just uh, absolutely—you could not have set a town more excited or against itself at the same time from that. You know, with all the racial climate of the day, with the, uh, you know, the, the religious uh, of that day, the religious right of that day, cursing that this type of thing had come upon the head of, of this uh, decent society we lived in and all the controversy there, uh, the arrest, the, the things that went on, you know, there was a great prejudice against it, but uh, you could see the power of it. It was uh, people, I remember the, uh, one of the Oakland A's, their ticket manager lived there in town uh, in the off season, and uh, I think he was more than just a ticket manager. He was kind of like the uh, secretary. He was the actual secretary the, back when they were really good. And uh, he came to it, and he, he was about as pipe uh, cast as you could think about in that day and age. Me with my hair down to the middle of my back, and this guy in there with everything, you know, trying to look the part of the corporate uh, go getter. And he was just, uh, I just remember him because I knew him throughout my childhood and I said, man, look at this guy jumping and dancing. It's just crazy. And, uh, you know, there's Hend- Hendrix up there with the double marshals, the amp stacked and, and just, you know, doing what he did. And these poor Alabama state troopers and police, they couldn't understand what was going on. Nobody had ever seen anything. Nobody ever seen anything like Hendrix, really, you know, and that I wow. think that I've ever found.
0: Well, let's, give our audience, Cork, a little taste of that. Let's listen to the first track from Jimi Hendrix. We've got two tonight on Lester, The Night Live. This is called Stone Free from the record, the album, Are You Experienced? A little Jimi Hendrix to put us in the mood. The the Nightfly has great broadcast partners such as WPVM 103.7 FM in Asheville, North Carolina, WHPW 97.3 FM in Harpswell, Maine, KYGT 103.9 FM, The Goat in Denver, Colorado, KPOV 88.9 FM, High Desert Radio in Bend, Oregon, WBDY 99.5 FM, Binghamton, New York, and KFOI 90.8 FM in Modesto, California. Mr. Cork, you start out our our together, our time together here on Lester the Nightfly with James Brown. And I think of James Brown in his latter years dancing wildly shout shouty i think of the word funk i uh, i don't think i have a picture of the james brown that you first came in contact with way back when because the track that you chose is so not funk it's just a lovely ballad uh why mm-hmm. why did you pick try me and 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 tell us a little bit about what this means to you
3: well i picked try me because james was another uh a pioneer, uh, Hendricks was a pioneer, but James was a pri- pioneer because he pushed uh, the business side of music for the uh, uh, for those that had been shut out for many many years. And uh, he he was talented as an arranger, a composer. He he uh, you and I listened to a, a piece that he's done with Luciano. Uh, Pav- uh, not is it Luciano? Yeah, Lu- Pavarotti.
0: Lu- oh, yeah. no, no don't no no, not Luciano.
3: Luciano
0: uh, Pavarotti. Oh,
3: that's right. Yeah. On, g-
0: g- give me a shot.
3: Try. It. Luciani Pavio Pavio. Uh, no, okay. okay. Luciano Luciano
0: Pavarotti.
3: Pavarotti.
0: <laughs> that was good, man.
3: I love it. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. But <laughs> And just so many things, and plus the side of him that most of the uh, African Americans, the blacks in those days, had gotten, had cut their chops on, which was the church. You know, uh, as far as I can remember now, it was Little Richard and uh, James Brown grew up in the same area, had same you know contacts. They sang together uh, as they all as they started out, and. As as much as they'll, uh, they'll say that uh, James Brown is the godfather of soul, it's, a, it's it's disputed. I know, but was Little Richard uh, the king of rock and roll? You know, you have to look at the the whole picture. And James could do it all. He could sing, he could dance, he could compose, and his voice, I think, is the most overlooked aspect because we hear him in the popular, uh, most popular time. I call. Uh, you know, certain things had been affected by his lifestyle, and and we don't get that 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 ability to uh, massage and the nuance of of singing and his his talent there, his tone and his tune, and someone like Luciano Pavarotti took note of him and did a whole concert with him. So uh, we just tend to. I think music is easy to tend to slot things in, you know, and say, oh, this was this style, this was this style. But when you, I think, especially here uh, for James and then even with Jimmy, I mean, he's acknowledged by the greatest guitar players that I've ever seen since that time as the one that uh, they, they so-called idolize, which a lot of us idolize from Clapton to, uh, Jeff Beck, who happens to be my favorite, and uh, Stevie Ray, e- each and every one, you know, saw something there. And a lot of the great jazz um, musicians, the great guitarists, saw something there, and that's what he would de- he would delve into that. You know, his life was marked by a very short time, but he he was already getting into the types of music which I contend is always almost everywhere that I've ever been it's been a unifier and that's what I could see those particular two uh, so far JB and uh and Jimmy doing is bringing a unification among people
0: let's listen to James Brown try me the recording that we have is from 1958 time machine music from Corp Burrows this is James Brown on Lester the nightlife
1: try me try we
0: That was Try Me from James Brown and the famous Flames as they were known way back when from 1958. Mr. Cork, why music? What inspires you? Why do you love music the
3: way you do? Well, it was the happiest part of my life, you know, as a young person. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, uh, Wagner would be because there was some kind of uh, battle going on in the house. And that wasn't unusual to hear that played. And then, of course, my mother... Being from a foreign country and and uh, the exposure I had of a lot of Italians and and uh, Irish and in my home made me feel like a fish out of water in Alabama, you know, just with the country. And I've also uh, met uh, Earl and Scruggs and those guys too, because when you go around on the campaign trails with my dad, uh, that's that's who they would have playing. They didn't they didn't bring in Jimmy. To play when they were running for governor or anything like that. So it it took you out of a world that was small to you. You know, I'm, I'm a Yankees fan. The Yankees did their spring spring training down there. Don't blame it on me. Blame it on my environment. And I wanted out, and that was the only way at that particular time and that age time that I could see out. And, uh, of course, the first place I ever went when I uh, left home at at 16 years old was to a huge rock festival, and ended up going and seeing all these groups in across America, in what was called the uh, the communes, hippie move, movement, and all that. So that kind of took me out of the world that I wasn't very uh, in tune with, and brought me back into the world that had been so joyous to me as a child to to grow up and uh, hear that. I mean, it's not often that you're able to hear uh, the talent just in my home. And, of course, everyone's going to be prejudiced, but uh, I can tell you this. My mother's range was so incredible and so pure and and melodic, too, but the pure part that when she was in the mood, she would break the proverbial crystal glass with the high C. So I I didn't just have, like, a bunch of hillbillies doing a – Jeff throw, uh, you know, Beverly Hillbillies clog. These are real talented people. And there was a lot of talent there, uh, in that city, uh, with different musicians. And my mother happened to be one of the best of them. My dad could, if it was Perry Como and he wanted to sing love things to my mom or to us kids, he would come around the kids and he would, you know, and he's going full-time law school and, they're trying to make it out just like people do today and and that was our entertainment there was no television set there were no of course little gimmicks and ge- gadgets like they have today and so if you were good i mean if your worst form of pu- punishment would be to be shunned from the uh, piano you know we had a piano everybody gather around that asked me not to sing and everybody else would <laughs> would sing <laughs> i don't Corp, know what it was
0: i Corp, tell me this what what year were you born that's 1952. So when Try Me came out, you were only six years old, or so. So you must have yeah. heard Try Me years later when you were kind of growing up. Yeah,
3: yeah. And that, wasn't, were, that wasn't a music that came across into the culture. Uh, it mm-hmm. didn't cross over the the black and the white culture. So you couldn't even get those uh, records at uh, uh, what's called you know I don't know what to say. I I don't have a prejudice, but so I don't say it. I don't honor that. But it was a place where the, you, your culture, your ethnic group bought the, your records, which was hard enough to try to get the Beatles in there, and then, uh, God forbid, that somebody bring uh, uh, some of this uh, Chitlin' Circuit music in there. You know, with Jimmy uh, with uh, James screaming and all that. And then the blending came in when Hendrix brought that crossover because he played with a lot of those people, the Chitlin Circuit.
0: Uh, Cor, okay. can you tell me about the Chitlin Circuit?
3: Well, it was a, a name given to the predominantly black uh, music culture of the South, usually in really, you know, dilapidated buildings in the country that would serve different purposes, but would be like the nightclubs and different things like that. Usually in, in the country wasn't any in any uh, white neighborhood or anything, wasn't in the fine buildings, you know, your concert buildings, and it wasn't country. So you had uh, these people uh, uh, isolated even then, you know, in their music where they couldn't participate in the same uh, facilities. And so, uh, and it tended, you know, to, as I said, to probably... It was intended to be derogatory, you know, let them be down there and just eat the chipmunks or whatever. But it's probably what they ate, too. You know, it was a choice because of finances and all that, I'm sure, and, and a particular taste for that. But that's where they would uh, that's what part of their income would be, that they'd be fed and, and whatever. A little bit of money usually owned by some, you know, shyster type promoter and. And that's where they would play and so those uh, a lot of those players never really got across until the later years and some of the bigger uh, acts like little richard or, or james brown and the allman brothers were very instrumental in bringing together uh the culture of the black and the white music together down in muscle Shoals. that's a very well known i, I wouldn't be shedding any of my own light on it but and that began to break the racial barrier in the South. So it just was something, it was a tide that could not, we got the Alabama Crimson Tide, and that's unstoppable, but this tide was unstoppable once it started. Once these uh, music types begin to cross over, not only did you get the camaraderie that music brings, like it would bring even in my house, of a, of a really you know, uh, of a childhood that was at times very difficult, but you'd also get it in, in among uh, cultures and then you would get the crossovers and the blends of the musical types the genre, and and then you'd get the horns in there, and then you started getting the mix the the electric guitar, the push in the image, the surreal, you know uh, the the use of voice in ways that that certain cultures had never thought about using their voices. And a lot of that was church affected from the gospel, uh, churches, the black churches. And then a lot of the music that you saw that was a more defined music was from, uh, you know, bands that were, uh, like Texas swing and, and all those kinds of things. Maybe we don't realize how far it reached over, but, Uh, It was more than just improvision. It was like, let's play this the way that we see that it's to play. And those two blends began to bring about probably the best era in all time that I've ever really seen. You had jazz. You had all those different things. But they were usually at the same at at one time. Then this came and and all this kind of stuff. But uh, here all of a sudden you had these blends of music that were coming along and it it just couldn't be defined. And you started opening up uh, to where I just think that everybody finally felt a place to be able to have their solace in life, which I think is what music and their contemplations in life, because they were hearing what they wanted to hear instead of everybody hearing the same thing, which sadly is really what, I, we're starting to hear today. That's my only political commentary, but it's just, it's just, I, I can't, you know, I, so that's why I go back in time. I go back to things that you can hear today that, that will make you move just like you did in that day. Not just moving or think like you did in that day, you know, not just put the music in there. Let's just be musical people. No, let's be a thinking people. Let's be a people that can see life beyond just our little world. And that's what music did for me. It took me out of the world, the little world of just being raised and being in a society that had pretty much been that way forever. And it brought the other parts of our country in and opened up things for uh, us young people that maybe we had never known as far as what choices we can make and what we can do with our own lives.
0: I am um, uh, dumbstruck by what you're telling me. I uh, I approached this playlist from aren't these curious selections? Uh, I don't know James Brown. I've never listened to Hendrix other than in the car pool to to high school, you know, back in Michigan. And you are telling me a story that you lived through. That I have read about and studied and heard about, but never heard the way you're describing it right now. Uh, and, it is a, and, and, it truly, Corca. This is. This is. A, I mean, I thought we were introducing Stone Free or Crosstown traffic from Jimi Hendrix, but to be honest, these are representative of a whole movement of cross pollination, of opening up of society, of yeah. hearing music that you want to hear and not being stuck in a box of white or black. And I. I don't know what's wrong. I didn't understand where we were headed. This is really, really interesting. Really wonderful to hear from someone who's lived through it. You're you're a little bit older than me, so you've got experiences I just didn't 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 have, I guess.
3: I didn't pay to come on this show to be insulted, but I got to <laughs> tell you this. <laughs> hey, I got to tell you this, PJ. What I really, you know, I've said my part about music because that was music to me, but I think. We can't, uh, uh, you know, be neglectful to say, but what was radio? Radio was listening to WLS, was listening to this uh, station out of, uh, you know, a Chicago, out of uh, New Orleans, out of New York City, if you were lucky. And on a clear channel night on an AM radio station, you were out of that world. You were out of whatever Like, oh, my gosh, is this what i got to grow up to be? I mean, everybody, every generation has that problem. But I think it was defined in a different way in the Deep South because there was not uh, that openness and there wasn't that dispersion among people where you could have your say. You were automatic. We had 10 long hairs when I was in high school of 3,500 people. There wasn't a place you could go. And I'll never liken it to the color of my skin, but that gives you a taste of what it is to see uh, just abject prejudice for absolutely no reason whatsoever. And your, your outlet out or to listen to your DJs and the guys that were far away. uh, Howlin' Wolf was real known. And sometimes I think people that didn't, uh, weren't raising that can't understand why we, you know, you'll hear, well, the howling with well, this, this, different things, or, or what was it like to hear uh, that, or what was it like to hear that? Well, it was the only We had an underground radio station. They didn't play that music. It was so, if it was considered like a, a political threat or a moralistic threat, they didn't play that music on any radio station. We, the University of Alabama, in my particular case, and it wasn't just uh, isolated to me, they had their own underground radio station. That's how that stuff had to be played. It was not exactly, uh, you know, there was life and death in, in that culture movement. And that's to this day, if you want to get my dander up, ask me about the plastics because you come and smoke our pot. You come in and dance our dances. You come and chase our women, but you don't come in there and fight for us in the trenches. And I know this is really radical. And some of my my, uh, present uh, uh, gracious uh, Christian uh, pacifist friends might get a little bit put aside by that. But I understand that because that's a human nature. And when when you face it even to that point where uh, you're not allowed and if you make that type of relationship... You're ostracized just for music. It's just music, you know. Like Alan Iverson said, it was just practice. There was no need to, to to screw your whole team up over something that you made an issue. I know that might not seem like it relates to some, but those that know me know that that's the way my mind goes. And so, uh, it took. It, it was difficult. It was everything like that was difficult. Uh, insults and. Uh, riots and attacks and and painful things done uh, because basically this is the what they wanted you to hear and that's probably what scares me of anything in life that scares me as far as the politics of the present day and I, I don't take sides is to say because there's no sides when it comes to power power wants power corrupt power always wants it and you cannot tell me that everybody is absolved of that on any level and anything. And so music gave us a chance, uh, to hear music, you know, by the time they got the Woodstock, they were half a, a million strong. There's something about that for people. And, uh, and then of course I, I said, mentioned the radio, you know, there's something about, uh, the free will of something like a Lester and the Nightfly. Why? Well, it brings you back to where you were when you had a a time when you weren't just subject to some kind of, let's just look at the screen, look at the screen. Let's just walk with nobody in mind. These things were done together. We huddled around that and listened to it. And, uh, I'm sure you did as you grew up, PJ, you know, these type of things, uh, they had soul in them and they had personal relationships in them. And that's something that, that I, I really like about your show, by the way.
0: Oh, thank you, Cork. I, I yes, music did affect me, and yes, it was in a bit of an escape, and yet it yes, it opened up my mind and my imagination. But from a white suburban Michigan perspective, isolated, uh, racially um, narrow, not like your experience, and. I was born in 65. You've got, you know, a few years on me, 13 years on me. And those are pretty important 13 years. The things that happened that you experienced, that you watched were much more, uh, the, the opening was happening prior to my awareness.
3: the problem from my part of it and it's a vow I've made my black friends I'll never have your skin now yeah I was I was really mistreated and in, in, in my culture you know what I did and some of the stands I took and all that kind of stuff that's true I remember the time we brought the bought the Paisley uh, turtlenecks and the uh, some kind of like I'm surprised their eyes are still focused uh, some type of uh, crazy looking uh bell-bottom pants and that was from the uh the african-american clothing store so it was it was browns was downtown and there was a section there and i think they had the albums or the mostly the little 45s and stuff in there and then they also had the clothes so we were kind of unrestricted kids and so my best friend and i that's where we would go and he and i both journeyed together across the nation eventually we when we left home to 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 go see this music and to to see uh you know, I was traveling through Columbus, Ohio, riding too high on a Austin Healy four seater sports car. We had our uh duffel bags. We were going out to uh Colorado to see uh Strawberry Fields, I think that rock festival was, had come down from Prince Edward I- Island and and so we got stopped going through downtown Columbus by Five police cars, two paddy wagons. It was just like the biggest criminal scene you've ever seen in the world. Well, we ended up, because we were 17, my, my, uh, one of my friends and I, uh, getting taken to juvenile home because we had violated, uh, curfew, which we had never been to the town. But anyway, so that was one, past one o'clock in the morning. And then we also were sitting improperly on a, in a, a vehicle because we were too high in the car. And, uh, and they took, my my eighteen year old friend from Alabama. They took him to regular jail. He got out in about five days. Well, my father uh, finally got my name, a, had uh, had a guy at the sheriff's office was calling and say, "Ralph, do you have know of a Ralph Cork Burroughs? And he goes, "That's that's probably my son." He says, "You know, he's I was a junior." He says, "Well, he's in, in uh, had been has been picked up." There's an APB out on him out of Columbus, Ohio, and that was the one that he actually had to go to one of his friends from law school, and, and uh, they had to make a call to the governor's office because they weren't going to let us out. They said, you're a juvenile. You don't have a right to call anybody and all that. So, uh, But each one of them were looking at us, and these were, some, these were some black officers, and one of them looked at me and said, I'm your judge, jury, and executioner. So everybody in that group, that's all they said. I said, don't y'all have another line? I mean, my mouth was, <laughs> I didn't back down from nowhere. I said, uh, uh, of course, when I found, when he asked me, do y'all have any marijuana in the car, one of the uh, leading officers, I said, yeah, we got about 40 pounds of it. Man, they tore those <laughs> cars apart. Downtown Columbus took everything apart, mm-hmm. dogs a whole. But anyway, we stayed with that pastor uh, the night before, happened to be a relative of one of the guys traveling, and we went from from that place I'll think of the name but we went from that place to the next night we were in jail in Columbus, Ohio and we stayed in there uh oh, almost a full week before they were able because of that chance call by the you know down in Tuscaloosa of this guy seeing my his, Ralph's name my dad's name I went by Cork, and that that way he was able to get us out I, and there was one guy in there for 6 months we called his family when we got out so it was crazy. It was a crazy time and it was all because our hair was long and you made the point and not to throw you in there, uh, in a, but in a real good way when you said, Gork, I just can't understand why these people use these tactics and these are the people, the people that I favor, remember? And you said, you can't understand the, the, the loss of ability to tear down another group of people and you see it all the time and certain people get blamed but uh that's what's happening again
0: it's happening again it's yeah, happening again ways. and it it's it's uh, shocking to me you we i don't, innocently little pj from michigan moved to new york uh new york's a in, enlightened in some ways and of course you know dysfunctional in so many others but i thought i moved to a place in in this evolution of society. We've moved past those things, those poor people in the sixties, thank God they, they got us through it. And, you know, it's one step forward, two steps back. Here we are 2021 facing, you know, a crisis of policing of race in the country. Uh, the, The lines have been hardened, you know, even after all of this time and all of that wonderful work in progress, uh, you, you still hear similar stories to what you're telling about being stuck in jail for a week for doing, you know, juvenile, lighthearted in, in many ways, it sounds like, not really troubled things, and yeah, yet there yeah. you are, stuck by by just chance. You weren't there for six months, it sounds like to me,
3: yeah. even at oh, 17. Yeah. Were, well, that's why I said I had a little bit of an edge there, and I've never taken it for granted. And I've always, and my daughter is so much the same. I've always wanted to look at it. My oldest daughter, that's a, that's an attorney in Europe. And I, I've always wanted to, uh, I wanted my children to also have that same ability to understand and to love people. The godfather of my oldest child is a was the head of the Black Panthers in the state of Alabama. Now, I'm not saying that their grandparents liked a lot of that, but that's the way that uh, we bonded, you know. That's the way we fought through it. And uh, in fact, I officiated at his wedding, and it was uh, chitlins on a hot 110 degree Alabama a day that were cooking in the kitchen as we had the wedding at his house. And uh, so, I just I just have to bring that back up because our cultures are are different in ways, but they're bonding in a way that you can learn things from them. That you can never learn from your own, and I think that's the that's the rejoicing I have in the, in the Lord God uh, through Christ is that that's what we become. That's the way to step through it, and everything we've tried in the natural, the politics from every every culture that's ever been around, from the most religious culture of the of history, which was the the Jewish culture, I think, and uh, other countries that have real predominant, uh, religion, uh, to our own mistakes here. And then to, uh, intellect, you know, you're, you're telling me that, uh, you can't work past the ba- basic, uh, uh, proposition that, uh, we're that different when we can have children, one from another, you don't see a cat and a dog having a child. I mean, it's basic country stuff you learn growing up, you know, I ain't that much different than you. I, we, You know, your your daughter, my son, can have a baby. You know, it just... And I know that sounds simplistic sometimes to the intellect, but the intellect, uh, what did I see the other day, that they blinded themselves with trying to figure out through that and just instead of feeling, let's just feel one another for a while. And getting back to what we were talking about, not being a rant here, that's what music does. You can't help it. You know, unless you're just... Uh, you know what is it? Uh, have no uh, emotion or empathy whatsoever. You can, you have, you have. There's a, a, there's a song by James Brown on his album called Gold, and it's called Night Train. If you can't, if you're a coma, uh, you know, a comatose patient, you're gonna have to move under that song when those horns start in. You can't help yourself.
1: Atlanta, Georgia, Raleigh, North
0: Train from James Brown, Court, tell us about this song.
3: Well, that one I've just c- come in recently. I was not a big James Brown uh, uh, instrumental guy, but the more I listen to him as the years go by, and and those that horn section is probably the best horn section I've ever heard, and their rhythm section, and they've been acknowledged for that. That's nothing new for me saying it, but it just the way that he just calls out all the the stops of the train across America. Boston, Massachusetts, New York City, and calls out these these cities that uh, was a mode of travel back then for bands, for uh, different people, and uh, much more so than now. And uh, I think it really kind of lends to what this radio program by uh, PJ the DJ and Lester, <laughs> it just causes his program to really – he interviews people from all over the United States, his mom, you know, he goes to these different places and you feel like once again, the, uh, that it's crystallized what the radio was about. It was a means of identification to unite people. Uh, w- we listened to, uh, uh, Cassius Clay at the time when the, uh, uh over Joe Lewis in a all white neighborhood back in the day, over the radio people were standing outside the window there were no other ways to to find this this is how much it captivated and how it reached people you know my you know that generation is not that far removed and then we were getting the edges of it and our edges came through what could be done with music and so i like this song by james because he touches on the cities of america as one seeing it from someone that constantly journeyed And he was a hardest working man in show business, and he did this for many years and uh and that's what you get off this one song and the music and the blend of it. I don't know that anyone had ever heard uh that group the funk ma- masters the way I mean they had a different name, but them get together and be able to move people in r- the rhythm especially of music the way that uh, James Brown and his group did.
0: Cork, I had no idea where we were going to head with this show. Uh, You've surprised me in the best way possible. This has been uh, beautiful, eye-opening, inspiring. I am so delighted that you have been a guest on this show. This was supposed to be a very different show. It was going to be a review of music from Cork's brain, Cork's memories. It's turned into a deep dive into culture. And into a very incendiary time in our nation's history, and that means Cork that you are invited to come back many more times. I'd love to do a second, a third show. I think eventually we'll get through your playlist, (laughs) but I don't really care because I'm give the viewers some idea of who
3: some of the others are. (laughs) Well, in
0: (laughs) in future episodes of Lester the Nightfly, you will hear from Cork's Brain, from Cork's Sensibilities, from Cork's Musical History, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jeff Beck, Imogene Heath, Leonard Skinner, Leonard Cohen, Jeff Buckley, that's my addition, Kent Henry, a beautiful uh, Christian piece. Uh, We're going to hear from Steve Winwood, Blind Faith, Eric Clapton, B.B. King. Gosh, there was a lot planned for this show. We didn't get to much of it, but it was just beautiful what we did accomplish cork and i'm just very grateful yeah, thanks that
3: you were for here. the questions you really really good questions too.
0: well and, uh, fine fine but you know what you just grabbed this show and ran with it bless you in the yeah, least patronizing you. way i could be i mean i don't mean to
3: yeah, i mean bless you it's been well, beautiful I, I, I appreciate the format and it's been great and uh We got some music Uh, in, right? We heard a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did good. We did good.
0: (laughs) It's it's been a great conversation. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being
3: here, my friend. All right, boss.
0: You have been listening to Lester the Nightfly, okay? You You
1: have
2: have been listening. One,
0: two, three.
1: You have have been listening listening to Lester the the Nightfly. Which, yes, is the worst radio show in the history of the world. By the way. (laughs) (laughs) Ha! 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 Ha!